Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today I get to welcome back to the show team building and system strategist, Chris Ward. Now, Chris was my guest not so very long ago, and we had a ball. She is a fascinating person to learn from and to take tips and tricks from, and she is very, very passionate about spreading the word that your business should not, that should, your business should I'm losing my voice, sorry. Support your life instead of consuming it, and I, trust me, I'm guilty of that. So I invite you, the audience, to go back and listen to that episode, which is titled Win the Hour, Win the Day, which is also the title of her book, which just happens to still be on my desk. It's a terrific book. So today, Chris joins us to share with us why you don't need a discipline, you don't need discipline, productivity hacks or hard work to run a successful business. Chris, welcome back to your partner on Success Radio. I hope you are prepared to talk because I am losing my voice and with my voice, my mind is going with it. So just so you know, be prepared. I am here. And first of all, flattery will get you everywhere. I'm thrilled to be back. And I think you stumbled on those words, Denise, because it's counterintuitive to everything we've been taught. And that was the problem. That's all. Oh, that makes me feel so much better. Now I don't feel nearly as stupid as I did two seconds ago. (laughs) But you're right, because it is counterintuitive. And, you know, listen, I don't know about you, but we were taught to work and work hard all the time, which I'm still guilty of doing. I mean, I'll look at my system tray clock on my computer and go, what do you mean it's 1.30 in the morning? What the heck? I mean, I I got in a, you know, I was running, I was doing you know, I was in my zone, but, you know, sometimes you have to just say, ah, go to bed. Yeah, I don't even know where to start with that one because I'm sorry, I, I passionately disagree with you. There is no zone at 1.30 in the morning, and science shows us that again and again. I mean, history dictates that in time of war, torture is sleep deprivation. And so when your sleep decreases, so too does your compassion, your sensitivity. What does get inflamed is your irritability and your creativity just gets squashed. So, you know, that compliment that you're a hard worker, we, I, I wore that badge of honor. I remember saying to my mom, this is the craziest thing I ever had to learn, that being a hard worker is not an accomplishment. That's not a praise that we should lean into. Listen, I agree with you. And one thirty in the morning, I don't do this very often. Every once in a while, I'll have to pull an all-nighter. And I do kind of find myself in that zone, but I pay for it for two or three days in a row after that. So you're right. I mean, I'm yeah. sluggish. I'm irritable. My creativity just went, ah, catch up with me on Thursday. It just doesn't really work that well. Yeah, you're hungover. You're exhausted. And it's it just so that mindset of that, that's part of your entrepreneurial journey for being a small business owner is that you have to pay that price and you simply do not. It's counterproductive. It's not effective. And it really, it's just slowing your success down a considerable amount. Well, and you know, when you're talking about that, it reminds me of how we've all been taught women in particular to multitask. And that's about a one of the worst things you can do to yourself. You can't focus. You make silly mistakes. I mean, and I was horrible about multitasking. I'm getting better. Yeah, multitasking is actually really effective. If you're looking to squash your productivity by about 40%, then you want to sign up for multitasking. So if you want, because it's, it's just really the first thing that's going to diminish your results And what I often say is multitasking is doing two things at the same time poorly. Oh, no kidding. Listen, and I've caught myself to, I mean, if you're running around the house, it's one thing to have the laundry going, the dishwasher going, and, you know, you've got that kind of rhythm, that pattern. You can almost be successful at that. But if you're like me and you're a techie person, I'm a nerd in stilettos, and you're trying to build code or fix something that's wrong with code, you better be focused. You cannot be thinking about 14 different things. 
No, you can't shine a flashlight on two different spots. And people often confuse that, like the example you gave is like, okay, I've got the dishwasher going and the laundry going. That's not really multitasking. That's being strategic about the workflow. Like this can be going while that's going and I've got these things started at different times. But when you're trying to focus on something or create something and you're working in that flow, you can't, again, shine a flashlight, you know, in two different spots at the same time. So what people also don't understand is, is, is this thing where they hop over and check an email. They all check that really quickly while I'm waiting for this screen to load or what have you. And with that, here is a very important, powerful lesson. I want you guys to hear this very clearly because people do not talk about this. When you hop from task to task, two things happen. You've got decision fatigue and you've got attention residue. So if you can imagine, I give this example often in a video, like take shaving cream and shake it up and then spray it on the wall and then take your other hand and wipe that shaving cream off. You're going to see that there's still shaving cream left behind remnants on the wall. And that's your attention residue. Every time you hop over to do something, you come back, you don't bring it all back with you. So you start to really have all these like tentacles of attention and that are all over the place, like stickability, and they don't return with you when you go back to that initial task. And Chris, you talk about science, and I and I'm going to have to paraphrase here, or basically, probably ask it as a question, but isn't there some science that indicates that every time you go check email? you know, go to Gmail, wherever you're going to go. It takes about 15 minutes to get back to your original task or something like that. Yeah, so what you're referring to, Denise, is here's a really powerful point. When you step away from a task and you come back and to get back to the depth of your original attention on that task, they say it takes 22 minutes on average to get back to the level you're at. And I know for me, for years, I thought, they don't know me. I am so driven. I am working so hard. And what I didn't understand is they meant for my intention and my intention and attention to be back at the depth it was before I was interrupted. I thought when I sat back and looked at the screen again, okay, I'm back. That didn't take 22 minutes. But that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about your focus and your ability to move forward with that. But let's say that I am right and I am superhuman and you are and we're entrepreneurs and that's a whole different game you don't understand. Let's say they're wrong and it's half that time. Then you're still looking at 12 minutes and how many times are you interrupted in a day? That adds up super quickly. Oh, no kidding. Once I started paying attention to that and I started realizing that, yeah, I wasn't coming back focused. Now, I have to say, sometimes I will deliberately pick myself up out of this chair because I have to. And you can look at code or look at a screen for just so long, and after a while, you're, you know, your eyes are wandering, your back hurts. I mean, you're just kind of, I'm not all here. So I will deliberately get up and move around. But I'm not allowing myself, I'm trying not to allow myself, especially since I've read your book and spoke with you to just go, oh, I'm going to go check him. Oh, Pinterest sounds good. Oh, I've got to go look at Walmart. I need cat litter. I really try not to do those things. Yeah. So what you're referring to are two completely different things. And the very powerful point you're making, Denise, is one is a break. And the brain does require a break about every 90 minutes. And that is for your optimum performance. So take a break, go have a drink of water, go use the bathroom, have a snack. That's a break. And so you are correct. When you're working on something with in-depth concentration, like coding, as you were saying, yeah, you need a break about every 90 minutes or anytime you're about to switch gears to a different sort of, uh, you know, I'm going from this project to that project, then you want to have a break between that. That is completely different than you're right, filling your uh, lull with distractions. Okay, I think I need a break from this intensity, so I'm going to go over and see if I can purchase this or do that or check my emails. That's not a break. That's when you struggle with attention residue and decision fatigue. What, what kind of tips can you share with us? To, listen, you know where I'm the worst? Not when I'm at my desk. But I have two iPad Pros. I use them for different things entirely. One is all for business. And the other one is me just having fun. You know, I'm going to check news or I'm going to check what's on blind gossip. I'm, I'm doing any number of things. But I will find when I'm on the one that I use for fun, my original iPad Pro, I'm all over the map, and it, I've caught myself since getting to know you. It's like, Denise, really? You were looking at this. You were reading this terrific book. Why are you now an email? What the heck? 
and I'm catching myself. For some reason, my brain has given me permission to mess around with that one iPad. I don't know what that's all about. Yeah, so what that's about is you're competing against companies that spent a lot of money and effort to give you constant dopamine hits. So there's, you know, all different documentaries out there showing that now, and the science, it's all science-based, showing that the different social media platforms are very much like Vegas, right? The way you have to scroll down for it to fill the page and ding, ding, ding. And so that stimuli that we get from hopping around, it gives us a hopeful hit of, oh, maybe something interesting is happening here. Maybe somebody's validated something I put out over here. So what happens is when you hit a lull where you should be going to a break from reading that book, then you look for a different stimuli to sort of shoot you up again. And so, it, again, it's counterproductive. It wears you down. It gives you decision fatigue. And then you're just all over the map. And what I would love for you to think about, Denise, if you and your listeners could think about this, imagine a glass of water. Think about a glass of water and you go, okay, that's all my energy in that glass of water. And what you could do with that glass of water is you could have a sip from it. You could water a plant. You could, you know, clean a spot on the table. There's a whole bunch of things that you could do with that glass of water. But if you take that glass of water and you knock it over and it goes all over the place, you can't do nearly as much with that glass of water. And that's what you're doing with your energy. See, that makes perfect sense. It really does. I'm I tend to think in pictures a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just created this whole cartoon thing in, in my head. Now it's in there. I've got a whole panel, so thank you for that. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you, I mean, you, you talk about productivity hacks, and I mentioned that at the top of the show, and why you don't need them. And I'll be honest with you, I hate that term hack. And here's yeah. a kitchen hack. Here's a pro- I just that and pivot. You know, those are two of my least favorite words in the whole, you know, world. I can't stand either of them. What do you mean by that, that we don't need productivity hacks? Yeah, people often come to me and they will ask me about productivity hacks. And my reply to that is, you know what, you really don't need hacks. It's not about hacks. It's not about, you know, trying to squeezing one more thing out of your hour. That's a faulty mindset. Because I would liken it to if you are looking to acquire a higher level of fitness, you know, an athlete doesn't need hacks. What happens is if you talk to Olympic athletes, they have an infrastructure set up for their success. They're not looking for fitness hacks. They've got things to support that. And similar to your business, when you're looking for hacks, it means you don't have the infrastructure in play. You don't have your win team. You don't have your systems and processes, you know, like our uh, super toolkits are really systems and processes on steroids. Those things take care of that for all my clients in the winter circle. They're not running around looking for hacks. They don't need the hack. So I think a hack is just something that it's like, okay, I'm, uh, you know, behind the eight ball here and I'm just looking for something to help me dig my way out. But people look for that as an answer. I get that question all the time. Chris, can you give us a productivity hack? Okay, here's the deal. You got a problem with the very foundation and system of everything you're doing or you wouldn't be asking me this. And when you talk about systems, what are you talking about? Listen, I, I get systems because I have to be systematized doing what I do and handling the team that I do. But that's not really something that we we know much about. And we have to kind of stumble into them or slam into them like a wall just reared up in front of us. Let's talk about systems because they're so important. Yeah. Systems and processes are especially important. And we worked on that for years. And we've developed our signature program, Super Toolkits. And the whole concept of uh, Super Toolkits is that we want to be in execution mode 60% of the time. So the clients that we work with, with, um, the clients we work with and myself, you know, in the winner's circle, we're always looking to do the next thing. What is our next ambition? Because it's like, you know, walking in the desert. It's a moving horizon, right? So you think as an entrepreneur, oh, I just want to get this thing done. Maybe you want to get a book done and that's done. And then you want a podcast or maybe you want the second book. There's always going to be this next ambition. So you have to be in execution mode, I would argue, 60% of the time. And here's the thing. The systems and processes are super toolkits. What they do is they allow you to be in execution mode 60% of the time. And why does that matter? Because your competitors 
who may not be nearly as good as you or, you know, really delivering them the way you do to your clients or have the insight or the expertise or the years that you have. But if they can get their ideas to execution consistently and effectively, that's the name of the game. They're going to be going further and faster than you and bringing in more revenue. So the systems and processes like our super toolkit are huge. Well, and I know, I didn't have any systems when I first started out, and I ran around like a crazy person. I mean, truly, I started my business in 2001, so there really wasn't much in the way of the Internet. There wasn't anybody to teach or guide or mentor. It just it wasn't happening. So I had to learn a lot of what I do even now on my own, which was fine. You know, I'm fairly smart about things like this, but... I wasted an awful lot of time just doing and redoing and then losing focus and then getting cranky and then doing and redoing. And finally, I said, if you don't get this into a system now, you're in trouble. So you know what I did? I actually shut my business down for two weeks and just made systems because I couldn't keep going back and forth. Yeah, so there's a couple of things there. First of all, people often confuse systems and processes as a thing like a chokehold because they had jobs where there's SOPs, standard operating procedures. And in those SOPs, they're usually written not by the end user, they're static in nature, and they're mostly there to cover liabilities. So systems and processes, I can see why people think, oh yeah, no, I started this job, this business, so I could have freedom, and I get that. And that's why our super toolkits are completely different. They're really like systems and processes on steroids. They're a breathing document, they're enjoyable to use, and they constantly compress your time and your win team's time. Because when I move on to the next ambition, I need my team to have the bandwidth on their calendar to dive into this next ambition with me and get this stuff done. So that's really important to note. A second thing I'd love to tap into, Denise, if you don't mind, give you a little bit of pushback, is that's one of the things people do a lot. They'll say, I don't have time to create these systems and processes, or I will then take a week off, or I'll go in all weekend, and I'm going to write them all out. And 90% of the time, that's not going to help you. Because first of all, you're going to sit there, you're going to type this all out, and then when you go to use it or give it to somebody else, you're oh, yeah, I missed step two because I just do that intuitively or I've been doing it all the time. It really isn't an effective document until it becomes dynamic and you're constantly what I call queuing it, creating, using, and editing it. So what that means is sitting, in da- sitting down and then trying to create this system all in one sitting or even one week usually sets you up to fail. You're really smart at what you do, so I'm sure you survived it. But for most people, that's a recipe for failure, and that is a problem. What I would like to say is this, with our super toolkits, what happens is when I'm taking on a new ambition, you will often find that we get much more, uh, we get further ahead and much more traction than anybody else taking on that new ambition parallel to us because of our super toolkits. So for example, right now we started to dive into TikTok a couple months ago and we've got counterparts that are also doing that. But because we have the super toolkit, we're learning at a faster rate and editing our super toolkit, creating, using, editing it. So, you know, my, my, my business colleague was saying, oh my gosh, how come you're making so much traction? It's like, ah, we have this formula that builds on our success, eliminates mistakes, and we're tweaking it constantly because it's a breathing document. So that's where you really get to lean into it because, again, when you create these systems and they become static in nature and then you hand them off as if they're done, that usually backfires. Well, it sounds a lot like HR, doesn't it? Well, you know, talk mm-hmm. to HR. They've got the answer. No, they don't. But I understand what you said, but back in the day, and I'm not that old, trust me, but it just I started this business a long time ago, and I had had to be a static document, and you're right. I had to constantly go back and correct it because I know what I know, and I assume that everybody else does. Wrong. They don't. And then I also fell into the trap. So if anybody who's listening to this and if they've done it or they're fixing to do it, I also fell into the trap of do what I tell you and nobody gets hurt. I did not take into consideration that my team, and I always make it a point to hire people who are better at something than I am. I can do every single thing I ask them to do, but depending on what it is, 
I want them to be better and I want them to have this as their own business as well, their contractors. And I want them to be up on what's new and what's not working and what is working. And I don't have time for that. None of us do really. So you hire experts. But the thing is, once I thought, Denise, you're the bottleneck. Get out of your own way. And I started asking for them to say, well, you know, this might work better. You know, I would start asking for advice. Then those documents became living, breathing documents. But it took a while. So for us, that's one of the components of a win team is that the team manages you instead of you managing them. And so I'm not the bottleneck and I do equate, you know, I subscribe to the fact that I am the dumbest person in the room when I'm with my team. But more than that is I would also argue that you don't need to know everything that they do at all. You need to know the outcome you want. But with the super toolkits, then, you know, we, you know, we have one of our members on our team is just leaving for college and she's been with us a number of years. So we brought, we just hired somebody two weeks ago and in one week she was up to 80% capacity because we have these super toolkits. So we can promote people or change jobs or what have you because we have a win team formula that's also built very, the foundation of that is the super toolkit. So it's really like becoming a pointer because you're the visionary, you have the ideas, you, you shouldn't need to or be able to do half the jobs of the people around you. And I also want to articulate that when I say win team, I'm all about a very lean team. Like we get a lot done with our podcast. You know, it's just a general podcast. could be anything for sales and social media. I've got a book. I've got all kinds of speaking gigs. I do a lot. And yet I have a team of three. So I'm a win team is a lean team. But I also think it's really important, and we didn't tap into this yet, one of the biggest mistakes that you hear people talk about all the time as small business owners is delegating. And delegating is a lateral move. It's not going to get you where you want to be. You want to have a win team that manages you instead of you managing them because delegating is just handing something sort of to the left. It's not, you're, you're not getting the traction you want. Okay, let's expand on that because I agree with you. For a long time, I was in the virtual assistance industry until it just kind of... Like any new industry, people come into it that shouldn't be into it and give it a bad name, leave a bad taste. But I also just got really, really tired of it. My main thing is my podcast and web development. I love to build websites. Really. I I mean, I built them in my sleep. So I wanted to go back to what I was really passionate about. But you're right. You hear this all the time. Well, delegate, delegate, delegate. Then you have to have those systems to delegate if that's what you're going to do. So let's let's go deeper into that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So to me, if you think about delegating, it's almost like I picture the the uh, traffic cop in the middle of the intersect the intersection where the lights are out, and he's pointing which way everybody can go. Right. That's kind of delegating. Like here, you're now you're, but that is very manual labor. So. To me, I don't delegate. Every, it, what we do is we might have a little scrum meeting every day with my team. It's about 15 minutes. Any meeting you have with your team, you should be able to stand the whole time. And when we hop into that, we're looking about our next ambition and coming up, oh, we're working on this, and somebody had an idea of how we can do this video on TikTok and transfer it over here. So we're brainstorming and getting traction on existing ideas. We're not delegating. Delegating goes back to that corporate uh, mentality of where you're like, it's very parentified. Your manager is like your, your parent and you set yourself up to be this parent, child, teacher, student situation. But the delegating means it's a lateral move. It's coming from you and it's going left or right. I have no interest in that at all. I have a team and so do all my clients in the winner's circle. They have a team that manages them. So I love that. And you talk about ambition. That's new. Let's, let's talk about that. I get where you're going with it, but I'd like to know the genesis of that. Yeah, so being an entrepreneur is all about getting your ideas to execution because we have more ideas than we can implement. You're not an entrepreneur because you're, like, satisfied with the status quo. You could have stayed at your last job for that. So it's about, you know, getting your ideas execution. And a lot of our clients that come into the winner's circle where they're really stressed out in the beginning is they have these passions and they want to make a bigger impact on the industry. And they have these ideas that, you know, they think are unique and would really 
be well received, but they're just not getting to them. And so that's the pain point in the journey is like, oh, it's on the horizon. And if I'm not, I'm A, not getting closer. In fact, sometimes I feel like I'm getting further away from that. So that's where the frustration of having your own business is, is you have these ambitions and you're not getting to them. So what I would say is, think about it like this. Here is something very super important, and I really want you, your listeners, you guys really pay attention to this because no one talks about this. If you're, say, making like, let's say you're making $10,000 a month because it's a simple math. I'm not great at math. So let's say you're making $10,000 a month, and you're working about 65 hours a week. And I would argue that if you think you're working 60 hours a week, you're probably working way more because you're doing things that you're not counting. Like, oh, I come in on Sundays to get ahead of my emails. Oh, I stay late to learn something. That's not really work because I don't have appointments. So I would argue somebody who says, says they're working 60 hours a week is actually working 75. So let's go with you are making 10K a month or want to make 10K a month, you're working 60 hours. If you want to bring in 25K a month, if you want to bring in 25,000, do you think your hours are going to go down to 30? No. So the formula of the setup is very problematic. Make sense? Yeah, I've been there, done it. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, and that is what happens so many of my clients, and you guys listening, you can hear this, is, if you start saying in your head, once I get past this next thing, oh, you don't understand, Chris, my business is different. Once I get past this next thing, and that's, oh, after this thing, ding, 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 there's always going to be a next thing. And if you're busy now, the whole concept of business is to bring in more business. And so if you're busy now, when do you think it's going to slow down? Because actually you want more business. So don't confuse growth with scaling. Growth is when you're trying to keep up. Scaling is when you grow the business, you're decreasing the hours, you're increasing the revenue, and that's where it's really exciting. Scaling, not growing. And that makes so much sense. And you can put it into kind of real-world thing. What happened this past week, everybody? Go back into your last week and say, okay, you know, everything was great. We were getting ready to go on vacation. And all of a sudden, and this happened to me last week, my air conditioner quit running. I live in the deep south. Oh, my God. And I'm going to tell you right now, on the radio, I don't know how this state was populated. Pre-air conditioning, it was spousal rape. That's all there is to it. There was no woman in her right mind said, yeah, I want nine kids, and it's hot. Come on. <laughs> it just yeah, didn't yeah. happen. And then the other thing that happened was my car threw a code. It's, it's a Range Rover, and it's now squatting on the ground pretty much. It won't raise back up. So I have to get that repaired. So between the car sitting on her wheels and not having any air conditioner, everything just kind of went, bleh. But I had a team and I had a system, thank God. Because otherwise, I mean, I don't know about you, I get really cranky when I'm overheated. It could, yeah. it could have gotten really bad. So this is why I'm saying you need systems, and I want you to hear what Chris has to say. Yeah, I'm from Canada, so I call it snow banking. And what that means oh. is if you can visualize, sometimes people will say, oh, Chris, I'm going on holidays for a week. But is it really holidays? Because they have to work so hard before they go, and then they pay for it when they come back, right? So instead of getting rid of the snow, you're shoveling the snow and putting it on each side of the snowbank. So it increases on both sides, but you're not really getting a break. And that brings me, it reminds me of a client of mine, Christine. She'd come back from holidays, and she'd been with us, and she was in the winter circle. And she was like, oh, my gosh, Chris, I came back, and normally I offer a week. Normally it takes me three weeks to catch up. And she said, I was caught up in a matter of like days. And she said, the thing was, I wasn't rushed or stressed out about it. It just happened so beautifully. And it, that's so important because, yes, you absolutely need vacation. But here's the thing. The more important lesson here is life has interruptions. There is going to be interruptions in your life. And I remember a time in my business when it was very new. And if it wasn't work, it was an interruption to work. Like I was trying to fit life in, squeeze it in, in between spots of my work. And that's just not how it should be. Your business should support your life, 
not consume it. And that's the reason we, we left jobs is to have this freedom in our business. And the only freedom I found the first couple of years was the freedom that I could work hours that would be illegal in my country that people fought and died for to put labor laws in effect. And I'm sitting there at two o'clock in the morning going, this is crazy. This, I would not take this from somebody else, but you, you know, you beat your chest and say, oh, but I'm building a business. I want to do this right. I want to show everybody I'm all in. I want to get to the success faster, but it's really counterproductive. So you brought up some really salient points there. Life has interruptions and your business should be able to support that. And you know this better than anybody else because I want to go back to our first conversation and your husband had passed away. And you walked away from your business basically for two years, which is the the typical that been there, done it. You you grieve for a solid two years. You wake up one day and all of a sudden it's like a squeegee. You know, cleans your eyeballs. Just, oh, I can see it's a bright light out there. It's a very different type of a thing that's happening in your life. You went back to a business that was still running. So if you would. Please share that again because I think it's so important to your story. Yeah. So when I started my business, like everybody else, the first two years, I was working like insane hours, crazy hours. And my husband used to say I was always stealing from sleep, getting up early, earlier, and staying later and later. And so after about two years, I realized it was gently pointed out to me that I was starting to lose some of my charm. And so I realized all these people were supporting me. And they were just, you know, doing their best to cheer me on. And I was being a little short with them. So I thought, this cannot be. So I really went from working 16 hours a day down to six. And that didn't happen overnight. That's a whole story on its own. But luckily I did because it was a couple years after that that my husband had been diagnosed with cancer. And I had been pulled away from the business for about two years. You know, I had a really amazing setup. He, you know, he did like... He said I turned him into a 1950s housewife in two years because he did everything at at home because, you know, I worked a lot and he was like, okay, I don't want you doing this at 11 o'clock at night. So, you know, when the responsibility switched to him having all these demanding things in his schedule and chemo and stuff, and then all the things he did at home, like it was really like turning my canoe around going upstream without my co-paddler. So, you know, a lot happened, but I had a win team and I had the super toolkits in play. I didn't know I'd be away for two years. And it was something that we did not talk about to my clients. And we didn't talk about local business community because it wasn't how we navigated his journey. I wasn't looking for that kind of attention. So when I returned after his passing, my existing marketing clients had no idea of my absence. And they just kept saying to me, we don't know how you pulled that off and how you Like, we just had no idea. And when it became public, they were all shocked. So they started to ask me, could, you know, under the capacity of the fragility of life and the capacity of helping them with their business, could I work with them in that arena? And they said, if you could do this, maybe you could get me to my kids' soccer games. And so I started to realize that so many of these clients looked good on paper, yet they were still putting in crazy hours when nobody else knew about it late at night when their families went to bed. And that's where I realized, oh, they're isolated, yet they, they look like they've accomplished something, so they really have no support. And that's how my movement of your business should support your life instead of consuming it started. And I, I almost, I'm almost speechless here. I mean, it's, it's a story that is full of compassion and ethos, and, you know, you had a team. You had a husband who loved you, but your team, God bless them they really stood behind you. Yeah. I mean, I can't take credit for that because they're just, you know, wonderful, fantastic people. But I will also say, though, that when you have that culture in play, it really is something that sustains itself. So that's another thing I teach my clients in the winter circle is so often we associate culture with bigger organizations. And I would like you to visualize this. Imagine if you have like an ocean liner and there is like 300 people on that boat, the the ocean liner, the ship, and something happens to that ship. You know, if 100 people there are just not as helpful as you like them to be, you just have so many resources, so you'll deal with it. Somebody will take charge. It'll be fine. But if you're in a canoe with three people and there's a leak in the boat, you better have a solid team because like this is it. There's just us. 
So often people confuse bigger organizations as when you worry about the culture, but that's not it. So it's the culture we create with our clients that even if you have one person working with you or two or three, you do that correctly and they will stay with you forever and do anything for you because it's just a fantastic place to work. I agree with you. Listen, I and thank you for sharing that. In your book, and I'm... I, I've got yellow notes all over this thing. You know, to see it. It's all fat now. You say work backwards. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, that's yeah, a great that's... example. And we all do that in our personal life, Denise. So when people talk about working backwards, I mean, here's the thing. You might say, okay, you know what? I have to be at a dental appointment, whatever, Thursday at 11. And you're realizing, okay, that's an hour away, but then I have to do this and that. And you might realize I have to get up and get ready at 8 a.m. to be there at 11. Oh, yeah, I got to get dressed. I got to work out. You, you work backwards. You do the math. You figure it out. And yet, with, as business owners, you know, as entrepreneurs, so often we get a project, we get excited, we've got new income, and you say, oh, yeah, I dive right in. And that newest thing gets your, more of your attention. And you just work really hard until the next thing comes down the, the conveyor belt, and you work really hard. And you have no idea when you're off course. A really good example of that was actually when I wrote my book. I worked backwards, and I looked at to get it to the editors in, on time in June. She needed it by June, or I wouldn't get to use that editor till September with her workload. So I had to get it to her in June. So I worked backwards, and I did the math. If I wrote Monday to Friday, I figured out I needed to do five pages a day to get it to her by June. Now, here's the thing. Previously, I, would, I had to use all my techniques that I wrote about in the book to write the book. And previously, what I would have done, you know, a number of years ago, I would have been like, oh, you know what? I was kind of tired today. And of course, I was up late last night. I was working on this thing. And, you know, I'm tired, but tomorrow I'm going to be refreshed and the pages are just going to fly off. It's going to be amazing. So there's always this false sense of, you know, it'll be different tomorrow. But what would happen is sometimes I didn't think I had five pages in me. But when that happened, it really sobered me up because I'd go, hmm, I don't have five pages in me today. I'm not likely to have 10 in me tomorrow. So it kept me on track. And it was only because I had worked backwards and laid out the plan. So I could see when I was off course. I could see what I had to do. And it was really clear and I couldn't fool myself. And so much of the work we do, we don't have that plan. We don't work backwards. And we just set ourselves up to fail. And listen, I procrastinate. We all procrastinate. It's I could meddle in it. If it was an Olympic sport, I could meddle in procrastination if I felt like it. But I agree with you. If you say you're going to do something, and I have this talk with myself, I, I'll be in bed 11.30 at night trying to talk myself, okay, Denise, time to go to bed, time to go to sleep. And all of a sudden, I'll remember, you know, maybe it was a statement that I made to myself, but that to me is a promise. If I said I was going to do it, I was going to do it. It's like, ah, oh, geez, and off I go, and I go do what I said I was going to do. It might take five minutes, might take an hour, but I can't rest until I did what I said I was going to do. So that's leading me off of my procrastination habit. Well, so first of all, I'm going to give you a little bit of pushback. I want to defend people who think they're procrastinators because what I would say for the most part is you, you are lacking a system that sets you up for success. So I think procrastination is when you don't have something that set, is setting you up and supporting you. So then you're in this internal battle of get it, getting it done. Um, so, so really, uh, it's not something I deal with with any of my clients, procrastination, because it's all set up for success. So you don't have to have that internal you know, battle. It just doesn't need to be there. I would also say, Denise, I did that for a number of years as well. If I said I was going to do it, oh, you know, I was going to show up hell or high water. I might show up with a cold or all these crazy things. Like, I'm going to show up because I said I would do it. But it doesn't mean when I showed up that I did the best job. Showing ah. up and keeping a commitment. Yeah, that's where I was going to go next. Yeah, isn't always a game changer. So, again, the thing with, you know, with our super toolkits and our win team it means I show up with my 100%. I show up ready. I show up with clarity and depth, and we're effective, and we're consistent, and it just flows. Instead of battling and beating myself up that I didn't get this done or I'm procrastinating or doing this stuff or, okay, I can do three things at once to catch up. You know, I'm in hysterical mode. I mean, I, you know, I call myself a recovering rushaholic. This idea of rushing to get it done, thinking to outrace time, 
you don't need that. If you're really what you need is output, you need to increase or lean in or leverage your effectiveness and efficiency. It's about scaling it. It's about getting work. You know, it, you're looking at for results, not time. I just wrote this down. Beating myself up is not effective exercise. That's what Ooh. I took away from that. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. And if you're doing that, it's a symptom of a bigger problem. We're no kidding. Apparently, my systems are not where they need to be, but that's okay. I'm learning and learning and learning. So let's talk about your, your systems without giving the whole thing away. What do people need to know about a really great system, the ones that you're describing? Yeah, so we do work with a lot of people like you where, you know, here, here's the downfall. Somebody who does have systems or somebody who is organized and they do get more done than anyone else they know. So then you start to think, well, I know I get a lot more done than anyone else and I am organized. So then clearly there's just too much work to, to be done. And I lived like that for years. But what I would say to you is, I have no problem. I would give anything away that I can that is going to help somebody crawl out of this dark hole. It's not just about the systems. What the problem is, is how they're created. So with, again, a big thing with our super toolkits is there's, there's an efficiency, and I'm just not able to, it's something I have to visually show you, and it takes some time to build it and all this other stuff. But um, there is an efficiency that allows the super toolkits, again, to constantly be compressed. So something that takes you 12 steps gets you down to eight. Someone like you, where you have some systems in play, it's really like you might be the local athlete jock star of the high school, and you're like, yeah, I'm a faster runner than anybody here, but now you want to go to the Olympics, and you want to win the Olympics, and that's the game changer. So I would say, yeah, I'm sure you have systems. Could they be more effective? 100%. I mean, I, one of my clients, she, she came to me and she said, like, Chris, I deal with five $7 million companies that get ready to sell, uh, to sell, and I get their systems up and running so that they have something tangible and increases their value and then sell the company. But she's working these insane hours, and she goes, how can you possibly help me? Like, this is crazy. And I said, well, first of all, you can't see the prescription when you're in the bottle. And you do have systems, but what we're going to do is we're going to take you from the local high school athlete to the Olympic athlete. And she just couldn't believe the change in her life in one month. I mean, most of my clients tell us they get 25 hours back a week within the first month. So it's really just about create, use, and edit your, your systems to start with and know that it's not, it's not a one and done. It's not a static thing. It's an evolving, breathing process that should constantly be creating more bandwidth on your calendar so you can get your next idea to execution. I agree. And we've talked about focus. And listen, I kind of waver between, man, I am hyper-focused to what the heck was my name again? Mom? Anybody? <laughs> Tell me who I am. But I think we all do that. But you say in here, examine your focus, that it's essential for everything we do in every part of our businesses. So let's talk about it. And most of us were not taught to focus, which I think is very, very true. I mean, in school, we were certainly not taught to focus. We were taught to just kind of do lockstep with everybody else in the room. That never worked for me, by the way. So let's talk about focus. I think it's important. Yeah, so focus is really just something that we don't talk enough about. And it really is, again, we talk about attention, uh, you know, attention residue and decision fatigue. So one little thing I could tell you is, when you start your day, do the work that requires the, the most attention or focus first thing in the morning. And so many of us in this modern world always have to learn something new or do this or this tech thing or whatever. And if you're like me, I used to be like, okay, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to try to get all this stuff done. I'm going to learn that thing at 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 o'clock tonight when I'm done my day and I'm all burnt out and my brain is fried. Oh, that's when I'll get my free time that isn't really work. So what I would encourage you to do is – Think about when you start your workday, you should be refreshed. You should also leave your workday fresh. Start refreshed, leave fresh. Now, that's not the formula you're probably operating under right now. That's why you need a win team and super toolkits. But when you start, then you start your day focusing on the thing that requires the most attention. Then it's done. And you can plow through emails at 11 o'clock in the morning, half tired or whatever, 
you do all that later. The stuff that you can do that doesn't require as much of the bandwidth of your brain power later in the day. I would also encourage you to think about when you go into your email, which so many people don't even count as work. They just hop in between other activities. They don't have it on their calendar. When you go into your email, understand that every email you open is going to take your brain in a different direction. So that really plows through your decision fatigue and wears down your battery. And what happens is most people do that first thing in the morning. Makes sense. Yeah, well, and I you. learned good that you. that is the worst time because by then I'm responding to other people's needs, yeah. wants, desires, and I'm already irritated. No. Yeah. Well, you are one of the few. I would say 90% of people who, I mean, who don't work with me, the, the general norm out there, they check that first. And it's coming from a position of fear, like, oh, is there a problem? I'll check this, scan this, you know, I'll deal with that later. But they're trying to see everything at the same time when, again, I would tell you, just focus on one thing at a time. And that, again, is a recovering rushaholic. I used to skim over things and try to get things done fast and plow and multitask and boom, boom, boom. But there was no depth to that. You were just sort of rejuggling chaos, almost like as if the plane is going down. And then you're thinking, we got to get rid of this luggage. But instead of getting the luggage, throwing it off the plane, you're throwing it to the back of the plane. So you're recycling it, but you're not getting any further ahead. Well, and the thing was, you know, once you get caught up in those emails, and I found this to my detriment, some of those emails, and it would just depend on how I woke up that day or what was going on or what my, you know, my schedule looked like. And my schedule for the longest kind of time and can still happen was just horrendous because I allowed it to be. And it would just get me off course. Like, oh, And I would read it wrong because let's face it. Without the, the nuance of hearing somebody's voice or seeing them in person, mail can come across as test depending on what mood you're in, how you're reading it. They may not have meant to be rude or demanding or testy, but you took it that way. So you have to be, and this is just my little thought process here, you need to be relaxed and calm, as calm as you can be. Let's say 11 o'clock. That's about the time I go look at my email in the morning. I've already got most of the day behind me, and I'm fine. I can, you know, look at your stuff and not go, what the hell, which I've been known to do. Yeah, and you also bring us back to our earlier point, too, is when you're looking at that and you're annoyed, it's usually because you're tired and you're doing too many things at once, right? So you're not set, you're not set up for success right from there. I would also give another little tip, something I do often, is you can use a screen capture like Loom, L-O-O-M, and there's many of them out there, and they're free. And I would say 70% of the time when I'm dealing with my team or communicating to clients or anyone that I can, I just do a screen capture and I talk into the Loom. Because even a spectacular type typist is like 55, 60 words per minute, but most of us talk about 120 words per minute. And there's so much extra, you know, information in the tone of your voice and how you say things. So people are often really impressed. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, Chris, you're, I got your video through the email. I just hit Loom and I talk. And they're like, oh, that made sense. Oh, I understand what you're saying there. Oh, that's totally different. And so it's much quicker for me, no typing, no confusion. I could point and give an example if I need to say, oh, you know this thing you sent me? Well, we really like this, but we're looking for a little bit more of that. Now, that's going to come out very different in that tone than it would be typing. It does. And that's how you and I met, by the way, for our audience. Yeah. Yeah. I logged into LinkedIn, and there was this wonderful little video that you had sent me, and I went, oh, you know, you wanted to become a guest on your partner in success radio. And I went, yeah. I mean, there was no question of me going, well, that was interesting. I'll, I'll catch up with her later. I immediately responded. I was so charmed by it. Well, and if I had tried, tried to type that out, it would have come out of the pitch. It wouldn't have had the it words. Would, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would. And I think a lot of people, look, email, I like email. I use it a lot. But I have to be cautious when I use it because I want to make sure that I'm using full sentences, bullet points, that it makes sense. So many people with email, you'll, you'll read it and go, I have no idea what you just tried to say to me. And that starts yeah. you off on the wrong foot. So yeah, be careful. But I like what you're saying about, you know, jump on, say it, and get on going. 
Yeah, I think the most powerful lesson that we're really, I want to drive home for you here, Denise, is more hard work is never the answer. If you understand that from today, then, then we have accomplished something. You know, hard, more hard work is never the answer. Going fast, trying to outrun time, being a rushaholic is not the solution to your situation. Absolutely. And you, you talk about that, that discipline is the enemy of efficiency mm-hmm. and that science has show us that hard work is never the answer. What about the sciences? What, where, do you, where are you coming from with that? Well, what happens when you're relying on discipline is it fatigues you. So it really, think of it I, like your cell phone, you've got all these apps open, right? So when you are relying on discipline, you are actually decreasing your creativity it's something on like, you know, like a screensaver in the background and it's just wearing you down. So, you know, it's like, oh, people say to me all the time, well, Chris, I need to be more disciplined. I need to do this. No, no. Again, how about having a system that sets you up for success and raises, you know, your accomplishments and gives you more and more traction versus you white knuckling through the day and holding on tightly and trying to lean into discipline. Discipline erodes discipline. It also kind of comes, it's your boss. Listen, I don't know about you. I fight with my NAS system. You know, she's taken over my, you know, Denise Golak, no, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> I'm always fighting when anybody says, well, you got to do this, you got to do that. Discipline, I think, is up to me. It's not up to, you know, screen, you know, an app or anything saying, oh, Denise, you need to go here. You need to, no, 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 no. It just, I'm pig-headed. I think you figured that out. It doesn't work for me. Listen, I'm inst- I'm back in your book. I love this book. So I'm on page 45, and you're talking about tools, which you just kind of mentioned with Loom. So yep. rule yep. number one, I love this. No tool, a tool is only a tool. No tool is going to change your behaviors or manage you, which we were just talking about. Rule number two, I really love, teach your mother. <laughs> if you can't teach your mother to use a tool, it's too complicated. Love that. Yeah. yeah, like grandma, mother, not young mother. So what I would say is if you, too, there's too many things out there, and I fell prey to this in the early years, and it was just like, oh, if you spend all this money and you spend three months learning how to do this, and oh, yeah, you're going to this magical thing that's going to change your life in three months. And it becomes yet a new distraction, and you're moving further, further away from your original goal because now you've got this thing before the thing before the thing you really wanted to get to. So one of my primary rules of the tool is if it can't offer you results in like minutes and you can't show somebody else quickly and easily how to use it, then it's not an effective tool for you. And really, I would tell you the most successful tools used throughout the world by the most successful people are all something that give you immediate results. And most of them are either free or so next to free that, you know what, they're like, that's how they really become international things that everybody's talking about, whether it be, you know, Zoom or your Google Calendar or whatever. It should be free or next to free and something you can get really quick and immediate results. Google Calendar. Can't live without it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm seriously, I can't. I mean, sometimes I'll go, oh, well, you know, I don't know why I put that there. I can move that around. But most of the time it does keep me focused, if you will. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, too, and I think I just lost my brain here. Keep it simple. But um, there was something you said earlier. Oh, anyway, you talk. I just ran out of brain power. Okay. Well, <laughs> I can talk all day about this. Okay. You talk. Yeah, I could talk all day about this because I just think it is so, listen, business should be fun and it should support your life and not consume it. And hard work is not the answer. And the big thing is, I know I thought this for years, well, once I reach reach a certain level of success, then I'm going to have freedom. I'm going to have more financial resources. And here's the thing, it's really hard for us all to imagine this. But with business growth, it just comes more business responsibility. And so Arianna Huffington, she is famous for talking about the fact that she fell over in exhaustion. I mean, she's a millionaire, maybe not, maybe billionaire, I don't know. But she fell over in exhaustion and just smashed her face on her desk and like blood everywhere. She just fell over and she has, you know, more resources and more money than I'll probably have in this lifetime. And we have this idea when we get to that level, okay, things will be different then. But it's picture it like a mountain. You, I had this idea that when I got to the top of the mountain, I would have more freedom, more, more resources, more of a team. Well, you can't climb that mountain by yourself. You're never going to get there. How you got to the top of the mountain is with these things in play. 
And so this idea of once I get past this next thing, once I achieve this next level, that, that is just a flawed formula. And you will be saying once I get past this next thing for another 10 years. You, if you don't like where you are now, you're not going to like where you are a year from now because you're going to be actually worse off because you're going to be more tired. You know what that kind of argument, the one that you just made, is always reminds me of that happily after happily ever after. It's like, oh, it's all about the wedding. It's all about the wedding. Oh, my God. There is no happily ever after. The wedding is just the beginning of God knows what. Every day is the day you should be living in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. business should be fun. Or why did you leave that job you didn't like? It's, it's more expensive. You didn't have the overhead. You didn't, you didn't, you know, like you left the job at five o'clock and things were fine. So there was a reason you left that job. And most of it is for creative freedom, is for freedom in your calendar, just all these freedoms that you thought. And are you experiencing that? 90% of people are like, no, not now. But once I get past this next thing. And we keep going back to that. And I think it's because it's so important. It's like, well, you know, I just have to do this one more thing. Oh, but you're right. With that one more thing comes a whole nother slew of responsibilities. Look, you were talking about tools. There was some time, oh, probably 10, 15 years ago, I don't even know, I was determined I was going to master Infusionsoft. Oh, I did it. Hated it. To this day, my teeth still, you know, just kind of snapped together. And I think it's key. Now, I finally got smart enough to hire somebody who loved it. Man, I hated it. And every time I tried to dig into that system, my stomach hurt. And then my day was shot. It was awful. And if you're doing that kind of thing in your business and you're doing the work or trying to do the work you should not be doing, woe is you. Yeah, admin is really the enemy of income, and that is really something if we end on that note, that's something powerful. People think admin work is to get you to the next stage, but it's actually the enemy of income. And, you know, that's one of the things that really chokes a business is new work, admin work, and uh, busy work. Yeah. And busy work is something, you know, we're all guilty of because, look, sometimes it's just easy. I'm guilty. It's just easy. Oh, heck, I'll do that myself. I'm not going to bother my team with that. I'll do it myself. It'll take me five minutes. No, it didn't. So that's a whole nother topic. But I think we're all guilty of it. Yeah, it's uh, well. That again, I would argue that the you know the super toolkits are not set up in play because that's not something that you could like get sloppy with if you had the right infrastructure in play. You you wouldn't yeah. have the ability to change lanes. I'll just do it myself and get it done quicker because you you it just it would not be where your mind went. Exactly, Chris. Before I let you go, tell people where they is there anything else that you want them to know about super toolkits and any of the topics that we've been covering? Yeah, just keep saying this till you're blue in the face. Your business should support your life, not consume it, and business should be fun. Gotcha. You have a free gift that, and I've been posting it all over the internet, but share that. Yes, for your special listeners, Denise, I have something really spectacular that we still charge for. So I would check it out at free gift, F-R-E-E-G-I-F-T from Chris, K-R-I-S dot com. Free gift from Chris dot com. It's like the audio version of my book. So you might want to get into it real quick. I grabbed it. Yes. I actually was going to start listening to it yesterday. I said, no, I'm going to be talking with her tomorrow. I'll have overload. So you're going to, I'm going to be listening to it this weekend. So thank you. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Well, Chris, where can people find you? Yeah, I'm on all the socials. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Tell me that you heard me on this fantastic show and we'll become fast friends. And you know what? Check us out anywhere that uh, you can key and win the hour, win the day, Chris Ward. There you go. And it's a great book. I advise everybody to go back and find our first podcast. There's a lot of information in there. Grab this book. It's an easy read. It's really well laid out. It's got great bullet points. I love bullet points. Because, um, you know, they're just easy for my brain to read. But anyway, it's a nice, easy to read, easy to understand book. And I think you really need it. So anyway, Chris, thank you so much. 
coming for coming back. And it's been wonderful speaking with you as always. And I thank you for all of the terrific tips and the advice that you shared with me and with our audience. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes, Audible, honestly anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. You really can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So take a look, find us, and take us along on your success journey. Chris, thank you. Oh, thank you for such a thoughtful interview. I appreciate you, Denise. Thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.